0: Hello and welcome to another edition of On Mic with Jordan Rich, where we meet with very positive, creative people who have a passion for their art form, from voiceover to film, literature to music, and everything in between. Today, it's all about music, symphony music, with my guests from Boston's Landmarks Orchestra, now performing free concerts in the summertime along the beautiful Charles River in Boston. Now, you're about to hear about the -the behind-the-scenes planning and organization that it takes to mount a successful orchestral season. With two great guests, Executive Director Joe Francis Meyer and the Music Director and Conductor of the Landmarks, Christopher Wilkins. But first, a short taste of the Landmarks Orchestra at work. Well, this will be a delightful interview. I love music and I certainly love creative people. And so we've brought two together here. Joe Francis Meyer is the executive director of Landmarks Orchestra. Also Christopher Wilkins. He's the uh, artistic musical director and the maestro, I should say. Hey, great to have you both here. Great to Thank be here, Jordan. A little, little off season in terms of performance, but this is when you do all the work to make those performances happen, right? Right. Absolutely. It's when, when we plan and meet with our partners and collaborators and, and put it all together. Yep. I've had the great Great pleasure of meeting with and talking with uh, a lot of local classical musicians and classical music leaders, including those who work with the symphony and the pops. But I've always been a fan of Landmarks because I knew Charles, uh, having interviewed him. Let's start with you, Joe Francis. Tell us a little bit about the orchestra's background and history and why the name Landmarks.
1: Yes, um, our founder, the late Charles Ansbacher, had a vision of presenting free orchestral music for everyone in the greater Boston area and beyond, really. He was looking at New England, and the name of the orchestra comes from Charles's idea that the orchestra would perform at various landmarks, landmark locations. And Chris can speak to this also about Charles's belief that music is a form of public art and placemaking. I'll, I'll leave that to Chris. Mm-hmm. But as the orchestra moved around, it became clear that that's a very expensive proposition when you don't have a stage in a public park where you're going to perform, you don't always know where you're going to be. And in 2007, as good fortune would have it, Charles began to talk with the DCR and the hatch shell on the banks of the Charles River became the home of the Boston Landmarks Orchestra. So now when people in Boston think about Wednesday nights in July and August, they think about Landmarks Orchestra.
0: I'm going to ask you to do two things for me. The DCR, explain what that oh, is, yes. because we are li- literally sorry, people listening sorry. in Japan right now who have no idea. Oh, my goodness. Tell me.
1: Department of Conservation and Recreation for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts.
0: Right, and the hat Shell, many do know what that is, but explain that yes. if you would. Yes,
1: the Hatch Shell is a beautiful little band shell that was built uh, many decades ago. And for your listeners who aren't aware, but many of them will be, The notion of free orchestral concerts for the public began in earnest in 1929 under the baton of the legendary maestro Arthur Fiedler. And those concerts continued up through 2004, primarily performed by the Boston Symphony Orchestra or the Boston Mm. Pops. The BSO stopped doing those performances in 2004, but for the 4th of July. But the little series of free concerts ended. So Charles picked up the baton, as as -hmm. you will, in 2007. And since that time, we have been performing those free concerts. And I want to add that one of the things that we are thrilled about and very proud of is the vice chair of our board is Peter Fiedler. Uh, the son of a gem of of an individual having Peter's uh, blessing and belief in our mission really sort of gives us the good housekeeping seal of approval
0: and Chris as a music director having a permanent home uh, particularly in such an austere beautiful place like that must be very gratifying not that moving around is a terrible thing but you know having that consistency must matter to you and the orchestra
2: yes and it's also the only way really that you can build a consistent audience people know Wednesday nights at the shell seven o'clock, that we're there. And over time, we've grown from a few hundred to several thousand. I mean, it it depends on the weather, of course. It depends on the repertoire that we're playing. It also depends on our collaborators and uh, the, the people that are there because of their loyalty to them but we still do move around the city a good deal we just do it in a typically in a different way so we find partner organizations whether it's a boys and girls club or Camp Harborview out in the uh, in Boston Harbor or the New England Aquarium and we create events all around the city but generally speaking they lead back to that Great gathering on Wednesday nights at uh, on the river,
0: and the gathering is all about the joy and and fulfillment that is part of this music that you present. And we're going to talk with you, Chris, about planning that goes into it. And it's not just oh, let's do seven or eight concerts this summer. Let's let's see what's what do we have for sheet music. It's a lot more than that. But Joe Francis, a, a bit more on the background and the setup. What goes on behind the scenes?
1: Yes. Um, we are deeply into planning mode now, both programming-wise and Mm -hmm. funding-wise. We raise money year-long. We reach out to our community partners to see who is available for a community partnership, how can we work together. But the biggest challenge for us is raising the funds to keep this orchestra going, and so far, um, Knockwood, we have we have done all right. We have had enormous, generous support over the years from something called the Free for All Concert Fund, which was set up by Charles and his. Uh, widow, Swanee Hunt, before Charles died. But we raise money from individuals, corporations, foundations, and it's pretty much nonstop. As Chris likes to say, we don't have the greatest financial model because we don't sell tickets. Everything (laughs) we do is free. But that is what Charles wanted. That's what we want. We have thousands of people every week who could not afford a ticket to Symphony Hall, but they come to hear our concerts and they love the music. So that's what we're busy doing. And we've also been trying to build our board. We've added lots of wonderful, passionate new board members in the last few years, wonderful donors. So there are people who care deeply about keeping this concept alive.
0: Well, you're doing what Fiedler started and what was his lifelong passion. And it must be exciting to look out, Chris at that crowd, which is growing every time you show up at the hat Shell, and seeing the faces. And talk a little bit about the diversity of the people because it really is a, an amazing diversity of folks.
2: Yeah, from the beginning, the Boston Landmarks Orchestra was committed to universal access, uh, that orchestras, like all public art, are there for everybody and that access might be that we uh, – organize an event that involves people in the performance that otherwise would pay no attention to the orchestra. It also is about making the concerts literally accessible. So we have a very vigorous Breaking Down Barriers program, which uh, serves the blind, deaf, hard of hearing, those who are mobility impaired. It also pertains in my mind to something that, that we were talking about before we came on the air, which is just how accessible is the program itself? How, mm. can, how relatable is it? Can people get inside these great works of art and what methods can you create that connect them to that music? Many people find classical music intimidating, that it's in, in a, like a foreign language that they don't speak or don't have any experience with. So we create storylines or we create experiences through imagery or film. Uh, With the New England Aquarium last summer, we had an amazing program where we spoke about – problems that they're confronting, one of them is noise pollution in the oceans, a very serious problem, a worldwide problem especially in our um, heavily populated urban areas or the threat to the North Atlantic right whale which has gotten a great deal of um, press recently in the northeast here. And we were able to create film, commission film, commission a work. We worked with Scott Krause, who's the director of research at the New England Aquarium, to make sure that what we presented was scientifically rigorous. So we uh, performed with recordings of whales and porpoises and other mammals in the waters. That made a really fascinating experience for people where they could really understand the music and connect it to problems that are really socially
0: relevant and important now. And isn't that the coolest thing about classical music, long-lasting and and has that appeal 300 years later in some cases? (laughs) That's why it's classical. It's classic. exactly right. And there's so much. We were talking uh, earlier about uh, Daggio for Strings, Samuel Barber's masterpiece, which has been used in more than one film, starting with Platoon, and it evokes so much emotion. I think a lot of it has to do with the social pop culture usage of this music exactly, and what a great way to tie it in
2: right there's nothing wrong with the music people say what's happening to the classical music well actually classical music is as important and uh, as much a part of our contemporary culture as ever it's just that a lot of people don't have exposure to it so the music is, is passionate as you said it's important it's multi-layered it, it has lots of ability to touch people if we can open up their experience of it give mm-hmm. them some way to connect. And that's what the – that part of the accessibility mission for the Landmarks Orchestra is very much about that. We create storylines. We work with imagery. We involve children in experiences over days, months, weeks, sure. uh, so that they get heavily involved. And we do a lot of commissioning of composers who can enable that to happen, enable kids from the Boys and Girls Clubs to have a deep Experience of orchestral music because they're participating
0: in it. What I'm got garnering here from my discussion with you, too, and I'm going to go to you, Joe Francis, is that. A conductor's role in 2019, or for many, many decades now, is more than just putting on the tuxedo. You be quiet for a second, Chris. I'm talking about a whirlwind of ideas and creative input and output to put together a season, whether it's the BSO or Landmarks or any of the other orchestras that we're thrilled to have here. It really is a uh, masterpiece of work. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> it is. And it's a masterpiece of connecting people, communities, Mm, organizations. And I just want to say that, you know, I've worked in the orchestra world and the music world for many years. I attend the League of American Orchestras conference every year. And I can tell you that orchestras across the country have been wrestling mightily with issues of relevance to their community, diversity, transformation. How do you make these things happen? Yes, the great works of classical music of of the the Western European canon are important, but there have to be other ways of connecting with communities, Mm. communities that don't have experience with that music. We perform orchestral music of very high artistic excellence, but it's not always the works of the great Western canon. We commission new works for our orchestra, and a couple of the partnerships that – Chris and Arthur and, and our organization have been involved in for the last few years. I'll, I'll just name two. There have been many. But the partnerships with Zoomix in East Boston and Camp Harborview out on Long Island.
0: I'm very familiar with Zoomix, by they're, the way. They're
1: ju- and and their, their great new radio station, Their right? radio
0: station is phenomenal. They're We've, terrific. Yeah,
1: we, we love working kids. with Zoomix and Camp Harborview. But essentially what we do, and this happens in the months leading up to the summer, Chris and Arthur have connections with and relationships with some of the really great local composers and choreographers. We will work with them and send them to Zoomix to begin working with the kids, send them to Camp Harborview for residencies. So they work directly with these students, these campers, and they enable the students and campers to create a part of the music. They create a song line or a storyline or a dance. Mm. And then our professional composer creates the orchestral work to surround the kids, back them up, and we put those kids on stage. At the Hatchell, a historic, mm-hmm. iconic, beautiful location, those kids look out at thousands of people watching them and listening to them. And I can tell you it's transformative. By the and way, I just want to add, I think there are orchestras across the country that would love to be able to do what we do. And well, well thanks to Chris. we're being
0: a little bit snooty here to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Boston leads the way in a lot of artistic endeavors and certainly in terms of education, health, and culture. And uh, one of the reasons is we've been around for so long in this young country. I wanted to mention his name is Arthur Rishi. Yes. Right. That's the gentleman you were referring to, artistic yes. administrator. Yes. I like to give props where we can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Let's talk about the orchestra makeup because mm-hmm. I referred to it as a professional and it's mm-hmm. top flight. And tell me about some of your players.
2: Players are the best freelance. Musicians in the Northeast. I say freelance simply because they most of them don't have one single permanent orchestral or performance position that uh, sustains them uh, year round. So uh, many of our people play with the Boston Pops, Esplanade Orchestra, or the uh, or the Lyric Opera, or Boston Ballet, or Boston Modern Orchestra Project, or Boston Philharmonic. There are many opportunities for them to perform professionally, but. None of the organizations that I just mentioned have a, a, a summer program, maybe an occasional performance mm-hmm. in the summer. But for the most part, the Landmarks Orchestra has, takes center stage over the summer. And so we're able to provide work to them, and we often uh, find that the, the, the top people are available and eager and, and happy to play for us. And our programming is very diverse and I think it's interesting to them to one night play the Verdi Requiem and then the next night play something that is jazz-based and the next night something that's Broadway-based. And we do play the classics. We play the great, you know, Tchaikovsky symphonies and Brahms symphonies and so forth. Um, But we're we're also very eclectic. So we like interacting with different art forms, Armenian dance and Korean drumming. Mm -hmm. And that's also part of – What we mean by community-based, we want to include all the cultures that are manifest here Mm -hmm. in the Boston area.
0: May I talk a little bit about your background? Uh, You come from a very long, prestigious line of legal giants in Massachusetts. Let's put it that way. People can read your bio online at landmarksorchestra.org. But what propels you uh, into music as a young man? Do do we have a particular moment or a particular
2: Yeah, I grew up in Concord, and um, I attended – a private school there when I was young, first went to public elementary school, then transferred to the Fenn School, where there were two outstanding music teachers, Martin Siegel on the piano and David Houston on the oboe. And I think this was the key because, as you mentioned, my, my father was a judge here in, in the Commonwealth. And um, I didn't It didn't come through the family lineage, the music. It came through the teachers, and that's so often the
0: case. Isn't it so? Mr. Holland's opus, the film, pointed that out in in a fictional way, but which begs the question, why do we always seem to be cutting the music department? I know the answer is an easy one because we want to put the athletes out on the field or whatever. But that's so critical. Look at you. I mean, you're a prime example of right. somebody whose life took a new direction. Right. And yet, you know, I, I maintain sort of a, a path of liberal education,
2: So, mm. I th- which I think was an advantage given what I do because what I what I find my role in every community that I've been involved in is, is connecting up the pieces. So my interest in, in history or literature or theater, I mean, we've had a great relationship here with Commonwealth Shakespeare. Yes. Um, who give sort of our our sister organization free performances on the common throughout the summer i 'm um, just i 'm interested in in all the different ways in which art and literature and history hook up. And so that's kind of been my role as a musician.
0: There's one more thing, though, that's very important in your role or anyone's role as a music director, and that is diplomat and ambassador. You're bringing people together. Obviously, you've got to control and understand your players, but also the audience and also the the city right, so there 's a lot of cool interpersonal stuff that you get a chance to work on
2: yeah, I, I mean I, I say now that people <clears> who have my position it 's really three roles. We say music director and conductor, but it 's really three roles You know the, the first is to be a performing musician. To, to be that conductor on the stage and be a, a collaborator with your players. The second is to be the music director for the organization, artistic planning and, and repertoire and hiring guest artists and all that sort of thing. But the third piece is the community piece, and this is now more important than ever. And I think back in the day, boards when they hired music directors didn't even give that a whole lot of thought, would have thought, well, you know, our, our team will take care of the Aspect of working with board members or having relationships with the local university and that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. it's come to the point now where I think it's it's vitally important for music directors to – be a spokesperson for the organization Mm. but also to find ways to represent community in the artistic planning and and I really enjoy that part of it.
0: And again, I want to hammer this point home. If you're in the New England area and in the New England area in the summertime and you want to have a great experience this is totally free for the audience. It restricts no one from coming and enjoying. Often is the case, you know, buying a ticket to a Broadway show or even a BSO performance is costly because it costs a lot for these people to do what they do. But this is a Great, great gift that you give, uh, give the city. So, Joe Francis, let's talk about what we can do. I say we collectively to help keep this orchestra and this momentum going. What is it that you're looking for from patrons, sponsors, the general public in terms of help?
1: Well, I would say first and foremost, if you're listening to this wonderful podcast and you have not heard about Boston Landmarks Orchestra or you haven't been down to the Hat Shell on a Wednesday night in July and August, please come and be with us on a Wednesday night. We have magnificent performances. We have a very joyful experience to provide for you with people from – goodness. Almost every neighborhood in Boston, about 50% of our audiences is from the greater Boston area, but about 50% is from cities and towns across the Commonwealth and also visitors from out of town. So come and hear what we do. Hear our product. And then if you like it, we look for your support through connecting us with with community partners, through your financial gifts. Um, All of that is very important. We believe that we improve the quality of life in the city of Boston in immeasurable ways. I cannot imagine the hatch shell being dark on Wednesday nights in July and August. And to my knowledge, there's not another orchestra hanging out around (laughs) Boston waiting to do this work. Uh, We've built a strong foundation, and we do need everyone's support. So come and hear us play in the summer, and, and we will welcome you into the fold.
0: That's great pitch for yes. for more uh, involvement.
1: And I just wanted to add one thing that we're really proud of. Chris mentioned the fact that we have this Breaking Down Barriers program to welcome and make our concerts easy and accessible for those who have uh, physical d- impairments of mm. any sort. And the Massachusetts Cultural Council has a marvelous program that's focused on this area. It's called the Up program, and that's universal programming, universal participation, universal design. The first year that this program went into existence was 2014, and Boston Landmarks Orchestra was one of the first organizations in the Commonwealth to be awarded or, or designated as an UP organization. And to this day, I believe we are the only orchestra with an UP designation because mm. of the work we do to welcome members of the disabled community. It's
0: a lot of reasons to be very proud of what you're doing yeah. and, and all that. Okay, yeah. now the fun questions that uh, I always save to the end. And I always ask artistic people, whether they be actors or singers or performers, poets, whatever, their dream gig or their dream, in your case, piece to conduct. Maybe you've conducted it already. I always I always like to ask, if there one one particular moment you'd like to have the baton for any piece ever written, what would it be? I'd, I'd like to do
2: a full fully staged performance of Porgy and Bass here Mm -hmm. in Boston. I've done it before, so um, it's familiar territory for me, but it would enable us to engage an all-African American cast, or or a cast that the core of which is all-African American. There are a few uh, non-African Americans uh, stipulated in the score um, from the community. We certainly have the voices. We know it from the New England Spiritual Ensemble mm-hmm. and, and from the great work that the schools are doing and from the churches and um, – but to organize that locally, which is how we would do it. Typically when opera companies do that, they they import people who have experience with this great work and the reason I say it's a great work is because in a way – it, it's the aspirational American melting pot work. It It's music that Gershon was inspired to write by going to Charleston, by listening to church music and street music and street calls mixed with his Broadway background and sort of New York style. It's almost a catalog of American, both serious and popular music of the day, and it stands as our our
0: great american masterpiece I mean, it's the, yeah, the greatest timeless,
2: that we have there's timeless. nothing nothing really to compare and when i it with. think of
0: classical music i'm more uh, understanding of the fact that it doesn't end with mozart's death or Grieg or tchaikovsky even it continues with the the copelands and the and the gershwin's and the american uh, contribution. So yes. I, I love that answer. And, you gave. and the Gunther Schullers and the Michael Gandolfis yes. and, yes. you know, the,
2: the history in Boston, of course, goes back over a century in terms of really important lead, leading roles for American composers mm-hmm. here. So uh, Gershwin's Porgy and Bess actually premiered in Boston. Most people don't know that, but its first performance was here. And he and his brother walked through Boston Common making cuts to the score because they realized that the New York subway system would be closed by the time. <laughs> <laughs> that the performance got out. Um, oh, Boston wow. played a very important role, as as yeah. it has uh, throughout uh, the history of music in America.
0: And the other fun question—maybe it's not so fun all the time—is the weather. When you're working outside, now, whether that's you're not fun. No, whether that's you're not fun whether you're the Red Sox in the middle of a pennant race or the Landmarks Orchestra on a Wednesday evening weather is always a factor. Can you recall uh, a crazy weather night? Oh yeah, uh, Probably more than one, right, Joe Francis? Uh,
1: yes, I, I will tell you. Uh, well, there were two stories that I remember. First of all, from the time I took this job, I realized that in summers, in the summer months, uh, I would not sleep much on Tuesday nights because I'm worried about <laughs> the weather. And we check many different sources. And The decision as to whether to postpone a concert or cancel it, postpone it to Thursday as the Mm -hmm. rain date or Mm -hmm. go inside to a rain location is gut-wrenching because so much effort, passion, energy, rehearsal time, preparation goes into every single concert. Um, I can remember not last summer but the summer before, so summer of 2017, we we had programmed Beethoven's Ninth for a Wednesday night. And we had our one-city choir that had been rehearsing, and this is hundreds of people from all over the Commonwealth who sing with us, the Back Bay Chorale. We had brilliant soloists hired for those parts. And that morning, the weather was looking really bad for that night, that afternoon. Uh, We actually consulted with our heroes in the Channel 5 meteorology department one of them made the really right call. I think Chris and I were ready to kind of take a chance and go forward. And just Would have see. been a big mistake. We thought, well, maybe it'll rain hard from three to four, and then we'll we'll get. As on someone
0: with it. who's wound up in the Storrow Drive Tunnel on more than one oh, occasion, yes, me yeah, when it's when it, I it, used to work at uh, BZ Broadcasting the Fourth of July. We I remember the year I was twenty fifteen. Yes, whatever. I think. it yeah. and and that's the weirdest. Feeling that you're back on a sci fi set and it's you know, War of the Worlds and you're in this tunnel and it's 89 degrees. Okay.
1: And the state police make the call. If there's they thunder and the lightning, call. it's too dangerous. Right, right. Well, so ultimately, we did have to postpone Beethoven's Ninth until that Thursday night. And then, of course, I wonder about audience because people have sure. plans. Gosh, they were going to be there Wednesday night. Maybe they've got something else to do Thursday night. So I was a nervous wreck. Ultimately, uh, it was like Noah's Ark weather that Wednesday afternoon. So we made the right call. It was a good thing we didn't go forward. That Thursday came along, the weather was beautiful, and we still had Thousands of people in that audience. So all's well that ends well, but it is nerve-wracking, to say the <laughs> Obviously. least.
0: Obviously. Well, you, uh, thanks for expressing it because I know it's on your mind when, when you're doing summer stuff. I can't thank you both enough. Uh, what a great introduction to those who don't know Landmarks and to those who do. They, they love it. I've been a fan for many, many years. And it's great that you've kept the Fiedler tradition alive with these outdoor concerts. And throughout the course of the year uh, on radio, we'll definitely remind people about those concerts. Oh, wonderful. Thank
1: you, George. Thank this you, has Jim. been a pleasure. Thank you uh, for having Chris us. Wilkins,
0: music director, and Joe Francis Meyer, executive director of the Landmarks Orchestra. Culture is alive and well in the city of Boston and hopefully around the globe. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mic with Jordan Rich. Available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mic is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.